Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When suffering knocks at your door and you say there is no seat for him, he tells you not to worry because he brought his own. And I was running from the tent to a very makeshift loo multiple times during the night and the Sherpas had dug a hole in the ground and they carry this kind of horseshoe shaped toilet seat which sits around the hole. Unfortunately they put it on back to front and the wind had removed the rather flimsy tent they put around this loo. But the wooden pole was still in the ground. So, clever clogs here. <laughs> freezing, absolutely freezing cold. I was trying to manage this process and practically fell into the hole and grabbed the pole to stop that and then discovered that the previous incumbent had perhaps left some residue on the pole <laughs> and, and there was no water anywhere. I'm Doc and this is Hacker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck.
We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, help us out. Take just a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what we're doing, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, a pair of brothers from the north of England who have a lot to share today, including a story that involves one of the more unbelievable coincidences you're ever going to hear. So welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, John and Simon Morris. How's it going, guys? Hey, hi, Doc. Stoked to be on here and love the byline, Embrace the Suck. Yeah. I think that says a lot. <laughs> good, good to be here. Welcome to Hello John and Hello Doc. It's good to say hello to from Tasmania, down in the other half of the world. That's oh, yeah, right, the South Island. Yeah, this and, and hello from London. Yes, this London, is London, England. That is. This has got to be the furthest reaching interview I've had with multiple guests. We're all in very different time zones as we talk uh, today. It is currently Sunday morning for Simon. It is uh, Saturday afternoon for me, and it's late in the evening on Saturday for John. So this is Tasmania, Southern California, and England right now. Yep, I'm, I'm sat here in my fluffy slippers. You don't want to see them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you want to tune into YouTube, if you're listening to this on the audio format, you may want to hit pause, tune into YouTube. Maybe Simon will show you his fluffy slippers as we get along here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, John, you said you like the tagline, embrace the suck. I toyed with that for a while. I was a little concerned because I was wondering if people would think that was about the podcast. You just hang in there. It's really bad. Just uh, settle in for the ride and, and embrace the suck. Yeah, no, I think it's great because anybody who's interested in hiking or trekking or the outdoor life, you have to embrace the suck. And that's just part of the deal. And uh, so I think it's meaningful in this context. Yeah, I think the really successful through hikers out there or explorers or uh, people who are on expeditions, they're the ones that really can get comfortable being uncomfortable. They lean into that uh, misery and hang yeah. in there and, and, and see amazing things and do amazing things because of that ability. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no learning in the comfort zone. And there's no comfort in the learning zone. Oh, wow. We're getting deep already. Hey. Nice. nice. <laughs> now, I have to share with our listeners how we became acquainted with one another because it's a very... We talked about coincidences in the intro here. It's it's also very coincidental that my daughter-in-law is good friends with a young lady who whose father we met in Jackson when we were there earlier this summer. And in talking with her father, Mike Potter, we, we talked about the podcast. We talked about his work and uh, as a documentarian. 
And we began following each other on social media. And then out of the blue, he reaches out to me and says, hey, I think you really need to talk to these two brothers that I know because they've got some great stories. And this really weird coincidence happened that you have to hear about. And so he introduced me to you two. I reached out and you guys were gracious enough to come on the show. Yeah, no, this is classic Michael. He's always one to step into new areas. And he's a great guy. We go back a long way. We work together in a European telecommunications business that we both were running in the 90s in Europe. And, um, And now... We'll talk about this later. He and I run a a not-for-profit, which operates in America and a number of other countries. And there's a big tie-in with the kind of coincidence, as we call it, that did happen. Yeah, no, so Michael's got a central role in all of that. Now, Hiker Trash Radio is about the outdoors, about outdoor adventure, but it's also about people and the stories behind the people. Everybody's got a story to tell. I'm sure John and Simon... You've become aware of that over the years, working in telecommunications, working with Michael, being acquainted with Michael. Everybody's got a story. And I think it's the story, the human interest stories that really pique my interest. And so I'm looking forward to hearing your two stories today. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you want to start, Doc? In your time out on the trail, have you guys picked up trail names? Are you familiar with the the concept of trail names? (laughs) I've Yeah, I... (laughs) I picked up a trail name. My trail name was Wow, and I got that oh, back in oh, 2008 uh, here in Tasmania when, back in the 1800s, when uh, England thought it in its great wisdom to export convicts out to Tasmania uh, for stealing shoes and things like that. What happened was there was a guy called Alex Pierce who. He stole seven pairs of shoes. He got exported to Tassie. He got the high, uh, the convicts who were continually reoffending got sent to this little island on the west coast of Tasmania. Tasmania, basically, the west coast is wild, so they were on this island. He decides to escape with eight, eight people, and he escaped inland. And they ran out of food, so they killed and ate each other. He was the one who survived. I read this, and I thought, nobody's retraced the steps. I put a team together. I got the Australian Geographic to sponsor, and we retraced his steps. But I had this terrible habit of I would clamber ahead of everybody else because it was a very steep and severe. We were, we were working, just to give you an example, on one day, we would be working for 10 hours and we would cover one, 1.1 kilometers, which is about just over a mile or so. Everybody. And I decided to be with so I would be with them. And as I came up, scrolled up something, I'd say, have you got any words of wisdom the book of knowledge? And of course, they'll be sweating and struggling and their replies were totally incomprehensible or unprincipled. And so at the end of it, I ha- ended up with a four-hour video of of the whole trip and all you can hear is me going have you got any words of wisdom with a book of knowledge have you got any words of wisdom <laughs> and so the, so they gave me a plaque they gave me a plaque which is just here and it's the it's the words of wisdom plaque <laughs> that's how i got my name wow the trail names have always got to have a cringy 
a, a sort of little edge to them that reminds you that, yeah, that there is, it reminds me of, have you got any words and ways now? The cringe factor to it. <laughs> That's right. And we are already off to a great start because that is the, probably the most in-depth story behind a trail name that I've had on the podcast. <laughs> and Simon, you have to know that this is season six. We've got 50 episodes per season. So this, I've talked to maybe 290, 295 people already. Yeah. And that was the, the furthest ranging story behind a trail name that we've had. We've talked about escaped convicts. We talked about Tasmania. We talked about cannibalism, Australian uh, Geographic, words of wisdom. And we're, yeah. we're barely 10 minutes into the podcast. So this is going to be epic. Yeah. Welcome to the Mar Welcome to the Morris Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> we're not cannibals, by the way, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> but I, I was thinking he's looking a bit tasty, old doc there. I mean, he's looking a bit tasty. Well, maybe. Simon, I'm glad I'm, I'm 18 hours away from you in time zones. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, fair enough. My salt and pepper can't get that far. <laughs> <clears throat> now, you have to know I'm always on the lookout for a trail name for the episode as well. I take that whole trail name concept and I apply it to each episode. So something funny oh, wow. comes up, okay. something peculiar, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a great yeah. turn of phrase. That very well might be the, the name of the episode. And so welcome to the Morris Brothers. That just comes <laughs> out of me already. <laughs> All right. How about you, John? Have you picked up a trail name? I'm too young to have a trail name, really, I think. And I, I'm more, I would describe myself as an adventure trekker. I think I've got to distinguish myself from Simon because he's like the big dog that's done the Triple Crown and all that stuff. And I'm, I go on two-week jaunts in Morocco and the Himalayas and places like that. So I, I can't really – I don't think it's fair to make a comparison, really. It's yeah. all hiking. It's all hiking. It's all – It is. You're getting out there. That's the major thing. And you're, some of the places you've been, which I've only just read, some of those are very exotic, fabulous stuff. Fabulous. Oh, yeah, they are. There's no question. Yeah. Right, yeah, okay. how about exotic? Exotic. <laughs> wow and exotic. People are really going to yeah. have their hopes yeah, yeah. raised what when, they, when they see the, the episode description. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there you go. All right, hey, Simon, let's be on the lookout for a trail name for John during this episode. Yeah, well, all we can do, but yeah. yeah okay, all well, right. there's lots of it's material, that's for sure. Now, who is the older brother? I'm assuming it's Simon because John said he's not old Why? enough to have a trail name. I, I'm just going from what John said earlier. Yeah, it's very politic, though. Well done. <laughs> it's a good save. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. <laughs> I've been putting oil of Yulan on this face for 50 years. Do you mean it's not? <laughs> Simon, it's oil of Yule, mate. You've been using the wrong stuff. <laughs> and now you tell me. <laughs> you put it in the car and on your face, it doesn't work. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what is the age difference? Very good. Say again? No. Sorry. Yeah, what is the age difference between the two of you? One year and 24 days. Happy birthday for the 24th, John. All right. Yeah, we're one of 10 kids, Doc. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I, I say one. One, one of 10. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we're a clone. Very good. Very All right. Good. Wow and exotic for now. Yeah. Uh, have you had a Call chance to split. listen to the podcast before? Call me Split Cell. Um, split Cell, yeah. 
Yeah. Yes, I have actually. Okay, so you're yeah, familiar. So okay, good, good. You're familiar with the format. Just wanted to yeah, remind yeah. the two of you that we do have a segment towards the end of each episode called the Hiking Hack, where I will turn to each of you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. Yeah, no problem at all. Okay, very good. Let's get to our first segment then. Trailblazers Toolkit. That's right. It's the Trailblazers Toolkit sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Now, I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest adventure gear. So, guys, if you were preparing for your next adventure and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed and you didn't want me to leave out? Give me all the specifics on that piece of gear and tell me why you got to have it out there. And this could be any kind of item. It could be gear. It could be apparel. It could be a luxury item. Wow and split cell. What is that <laughs> item in your toolkit? Who wants to go first? I hand over to the senior participant here. The one with the trail name. You cut me deep, Shrek. You cut me deep. Okay, for me, the, the biggest tool in my toolkit would be my mindset. I've obviously becoming coming internationally. There are so many problems. 50 to 60% of doing a through hike is problem solving, a rolling problem solving attitude. With the mindset, it's, yeah, everything changes. And rather than have the carpet pulled from under me, I will have learned to dance on a moving carpet. Mindset for me is vitally important. But the last hike I did, the CDT, We'll get into it, but it is one of coincidences or synchronicities, as I like to sort call them. Meeting John was one, but the kit that I have, here it is. This is my Silver Shadow, Six Moon Design Silver Shadow Umbrella, which I have found totally invaluable, especially going through the desert and even in the rain. If you're in the rain for four or five days, Having this up in the rain keeps the core of you dry. You're a bit it's fancy absolute. down there in Tasmania. Isn't oh, mate. Fancy. And the other, the synchronicity with this piece of kit is, as I was going back on trail to, uh, to Wolf Creek Pass, I met up with all, uh, all Good. All Good is the vice principal of the sales and marketing of Six Moon Design. So I met All Good there. And... It, I happen to be having happen to carry one of these uh, the umbrella, which for me is it's not something I have used in Tassie, but doing the through hikes in America, they are uh, for me a vital piece of kit. But yeah, Simon, a lot to unpack right there. That you covered a lot of ground. I love it. I love it. The fact that you mentioned Six Moon Designs, which is the sponsor of the segment, one of our sponsors. You get bonus points now on the hiking pole. That's <laughs> that's excellent for you. Also. You're starting to drop a bit of trail wisdom by, by pointing out that you have that that umbrella. And you're expected, of course, to drop trail wisdom throughout the episode, but you will be on the hook at the end of the episode for the hiking hack. So don't think you're getting off easy. No, no, that's good. Yeah, <clears throat> and equally, I, I did meet Allgood as well. Allgood was the VP for, and he was there. He got the, he was a triple crowner, and he'd got all the symbols of the trail, the three symbols tattooed around his calf. 
<laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yes. We've had All Good on the podcast a couple of times. He is a great guy to talk to. So friendly, so yeah. full of of stories and yeah. excitement. He's a great guy. Great guy. Also, I really want to comment on your mindset uh, that you brought Powerful. up. Because I yeah, absolutely. Problem solving. We talked about yeah. embracing the suck, about being uncomfortable yeah. or being comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think mindset is 100% behind that. You have to know that you're going to encounter problems and you have to be able to, to yeah. solve those on the fly and not be discouraged. Yeah. If you're looking uh-huh. for, if you're trying to plan everything out to the T on a through hike, you're going to get out there on day one and there's going to be changes. There's going to be unforeseen circumstances exactly. and you can't let that get you down. The, the whole point here is that the especially from in Tasmania, seeing everything reported in America, America from an international perspective is seen as quite divided. And yet I go, you go there to the grassroots and people of all creeds, colors, political persuasions, nationality, all of them, they couldn't help you more. Despite this, it's this juncture position between international the way the media presents it, and on, on the ground, you go there, and we get it, everybody was bending over backwards to help you. And the idea of planning, no, it's basically an empty-handed leap of faith, and you just throw yourself at the mercy of life and humanity. And if you're a cynic, I've spent all my life in healthcare, working in an emergency department. There is a special breed of people who come in, and you tend to sometimes lose your faith in humanity all you do is go on a through hike throw yourself at the mercy of life and see what happens and it responds beautifully absolutely beautifully because if i had to if i had as i've said if i had to summarize my cdt experience it's one of synchronicity there are so many synchronous events occurred that how can you say that life isn't there looking after you it's great yeah, and Simon, it's not just the international media. It's our American media as well that portrays yeah. so much division yeah. and opposition. And yeah, you're right, when you get out with, if, when you get out and, and interact with people and with yeah. common interests, all that kind of falls yeah. by the wayside. Yeah, totally. You allow them, you allow each individual to respond to that, just being themselves. And people will help you. There is this. And as long as you're not trying to grind a point or make a take a, poli- a political position, if you just say, can I help you? Yes, you can. Fabulous. It brings out their humanity as well. And it's great. It's there. It's just covered up a little bit. <laughs> right. And Split Cell, how about you? What is your must-have piece of gear out there? This is another bit of synchronicity because I was going to say something pretty similar to Simon, actually, which is that the, the power of being on a trail is the relationship with yourself. And mm. that is what has to be in decent shape. And for all of us, some of the time, it's not. That's a fact. And actually, being on the trail is an invitation to to revisit that. And the respect that is shared between people who are doing that kind of hiking and perhaps are a little bit at the edge of their comfort zones, it brings out a different relationship between people, which cuts out the BS. 
And, and I think that's very enriching and confirming. And, and I think that's one of the powers of being in these environments. So I think mindset and relationship with yourself and forming your intention needs to be in a good place. And th these are the things. Now, having said that, I have a couple of props. This is one that I would take on the trail. <laughs> Come on, say split go. <laughs> this is half cell. Half cell. <laughs> For those of you listening and have no idea what he what, what Simon or what John is doing, he just hold up his one of his dogs. She doesn't speak English, unfortunately, but yeah, yeah. She does <laughs> Oh, there we go. She does communicate. There's a fox in the garden, so she's going hey, stitchy, stitch. Oh. Foxes. This oh, yeah. is my go-to piece of kit. It's yeah. a shell. Describe that for our listeners, John. What did you just hold up there? Oh, sorry. That's it's an Arcteryx shell, mm -hmm. waterproof shell, which has saved my butt on a number of occasions. As has this Patagonia down hoodie. We'll get onto the Himalayas later, but at minus eight in the Himalayas in freezing conditions with wet snow. These two combined, they're my pajamas, they're my day clothes. They, they don't keep you totally warm in those kind of conditions, but they've become long-term friends. Okay. They really have, yeah. Thank you both of you. So I, I think the essence of that is you need trusted kit that you've become a friend with. You can't just get new kit and hope it's gonna work. You need a relationship with your kit you need to know what you can and can't do with it. And you need to have the confidence uh, of being in conditions you didn't necessarily expect to be in. So in Morocco, a few months ago, we were camping out in the mountains at 3,000 meters. And against the advice we'd received from our Berber guides, it was minus five one night. And we weren't kitted out for that. So my trusty little friends here, came sweeping through the trees and we were, <laughs> I, I was good. <laughs> yeah. So save the day. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Expect yeah, yeah. Expected. Nice. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Yep. Over prepare. All right. Hey, those are great bits of must have items out there in your toolkit. And let's talk more about gear. It's the hiking pole. With the hiking pole, and that's pole spelled with two L's, like a survey, not like the thing you carry in your hands out there. I point that out every time to my guests because I think I'm pretty clever coming up with that uh, little word magic. And their reaction is pretty much the same as yours. You just look at me blankly nonplussed. <laughs> but this is a set of seven questions that I'm going to ask each of you. It's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100, with one being Ooh. completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Simon, I'm sorry to report that any triple crowner, there's an automatic 40-point deduction. Your highest possible score is 60. Oh, uh, that's a shame. I've been certified. <laughs> I was going to say, Simon's definitely insane in the best possible sense, that his score is seven. I can tell you that before we start. <laughs> seven. <laughs> 
<laughs> all right. So we'll take turns. It's the seven questions. Yep. They're all related to hiking. And what I'd like you to do is to give me your answer one way or the other. And then also then give me a short explanation as to why that is your answer. That'll help okay. me with my score. Okay. Okay. So we'll start with the senior, Mr. Morris. Simon, who is you're one cut, year, cutting me deep here. one year and twenty four days older than Split Cell. There, Simon, when you're out there, trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles, no problem at all. Sure, I like them because my hands swell up. So by constantly gripping trekking poles, I'm I'm walking with them. I've got a Z Pack tent, so I need them for the Z Pack tent. I also have them for balance. I tried the carbon fiber, but they snapped. So don't bother with the carbon fiber. They're good for running, but not for trekking. And the other thing is I like to do photography. So what I've done is I drilled a hole in the top of my trekking pole and put a screw thread in there so I can use it as a monopod for my camera and for, for recording. So for up phone and for the camera. So yeah, trekking poles, beautiful. Wouldn't be without them. That is quite clever. Okay. John, how about you? Yeah, no, definitely trekking poles. And in my case, I would say anything above 2,000 meters. Having been to Morocco quite a bit in the Atlas and the Middle Atlas, once you get above that height and there's a lot of scree-type ground, there's a, a, a kind of sense that using poles is not, you can't manage, but I don't look at it like that in the slightest. I, I definitely either use one or two poles. And I've drilled a hole in mine and I put a comb on it and I scratch my back with it. <laughs> I'm not going to be left out. I'm not going to not have a hole with a, not a, a hole drilled in it. Come on. John is not going to be outdone by Simon today. I can tell. I oh, can no, tell. this is good. This is... <laughs> All right, John. The time that I'm worrying about is when the poles become a Zimmer frame. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that, Simon. No, I was waiting for it. <laughs> All right, John, question number two goes to you first, and that is yep. what's on your feet, boots or trail runners or something else? Well, that depends where I am. So, again, at a certain elevation, I need the security around my ankles. So I wear proper boots with ankle support. But lower elevations, and again, depends what the terrain is, I wear proper walking shoes because I do not like my ankles being supported. So it's a question of where I am. Got it. Wow. How about you? We're hiking in Tassie trail runners wouldn't survive a day. So I have always been a big hiker boot, hiking boots, no problem. But I have to say that on the on the CDT and the AT, trail runners, and they saved the trip, they saved the hike. They they really did. What one boot that worked on the PCT didn't work for me on the AT. So on the AT I got lone peaks and used those most of the time. And yeah don't use Gore-Tex boots in the desert. They do your feet no good. Learning has occurred. <laughs> That's another hiking hack right there. <laughs> now, not, Simon. Not very bright, not very bright, but can lift heavy things. <laughs> <laughs> now, Simon, Tassie sounds like a tough place. We've already talked about convicts. We've talked about cannibals. And now they also destroy, it also destroys trail runners. 
Yeah, oh, totally. The Most of the hiking done here is not on pot, nice polished trails like you have in America. Here, you, the, the trail is, the tra- you've got some classic ones, which are motorway, the Overland Track, the South Coast Track. But a lot of the time, the place I like to go is into the southwest. And to get there, you have to take a light plane in. Yeah, they have to fly you in and then you walk out and walk around. And so it's it's a great spot. And you've got, being serious, you've got some dangerous stuff down there as well, haven't you? You've got brown snakes, you've got tassie devils, you've got spiders, redbacks. Yeah. yeah, and when I've they say got... when they say spiders down in Tasmania, they're not talking about these little spiders we have in America. These are serious creatures. Yeah, they're the size of your hand. They're about the size of your hand. They they can they can the, hospitalize you or kill you, can't they? Redbacks. Yeah, yeah. No, there's redbacks. There's funnel webs. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I think uh, I read a survey somewhere that said the Australia has something like eight out of the ten most poisonous deadly things in the world if it's either going to try and eat you or kill you one of the two you know, and that's just the people yeah, that, yeah that's right that's just the locals <laughs> this is a comedy show this is a comedy show all right hey when it comes to your shelter system simon what do you yeah. prefer out there do you prefer a tent tarp hammock bivy cowboy camping or a hostel the First of all, hostel. <laughs> Love my hostels, but I have a Z-Pack tent, which I've used beautifully. But I decided on the CT, uh, CDT, because you were going from desert up above the snow line, that trying to pitch the Z-Pack in sand and in snow would leave in a high wind would lead you vulnerable. So I, I use a, I've used a, what's it called? A mountain design hubba hubba. The, yeah, I've got it here. So, yeah, I use that because it's uh, freestanding. So it, w- it would uh, be able to stand on snow and in the desert. And it worked well for me. It's, and it has the ability of taking the outer shell off so that the mesh in a tent, I can, it's like cowboy camping. I don't mind cowboy camping. I just like, you, you know how you get this notion of I like everything in its place and there's a place for everything. On the inner tent, everything has its place. So when I wake up in the middle of the night, I can just put my hand out and know exactly what where everything is. I like that. Okay. But yeah, yeah, the nana, the the hubba, the the mountain design hubba, which is the yeah good one. Yeah. And how about you, John? This is where we come to the difference between the type of trekking that I do and what Simon does. We have whatever the Berbers put up <laughs> and whatever the Sherpas put up. And let's say they're not very sophisticated. They're sufficient, but it's really a question of what they're carrying at the time. So there, there isn't any request. And it does, but what they do to compensate for it is they bring, they carry additional uh, blankets and sleeping bags just in case because the tents aren't really sophisticated that they carry and when in minus five minus eight you need to be a little bit careful i thought i might get a different answer from you that's why i threw in hostel i've never thrown in hostels before but you outdid me you went you didn't go with the hostel that i threw out there you went with whatever the sherpas carry yeah yeah no we do the equivalent of hostels but in the last one we stayed in for example in 
the south of Morocco, this was just a few months ago, it's really, it might be the roof of somebody's house, mm. quite literally. It might be a bedroom that they've got spare that can sleep 15 people, a big room, which they just empty out and we just bed down in it. It could, it really could be anything. The last village we stayed in, where we did stay in, in what you would describe as a hostel, next to the hostel, there was a guy driving two oxen and a wooden plow through a field. This is for real. Wow. Wow. You know? And so this is, these are the type of environments. And it was pretty mind blowing. Hand sewn wheat and oxen and a wooden plow. It was like a film set, but this is how they live. And you can imagine just going back from that, what kind of hostel we're talking about. So uh, it's got the water and a toilet, which is good, mm. and, and a kitchen and, and floors to sleep on. Okay. And with these in-depth answers and the two of you, I'm going to shorten the poll from seven questions to five questions, <laughs> just to make sure we get through it. We're wearing him down, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> We're winning. <laughs> Very good. All right. So, John, is life better above or below the tree line? Ooh. I would say in terms of experience above the tree line, to be honest, really, because that's, I think... You get the epic views, you get the weather, you get the challenge... I love below the tree line. We were walking recently uh, with my wife in some ancient woodland in the south of England, very ancient woodland. It's just so beautiful and real ambient atmosphere of history just through the trees. But above the tree line, you're really, you're getting all the exposures and the challenges which, which are far more confronting. And in some ways, you've been there. Okay. And Simon, how about you? Oh, definitely above. There's the, there, there's the challenges. This is my one complaint about doing the Appalachian Trail. You can't hike somebody up a hill and not give them a vista. And yes, when you get further north, you get the vistas. And yeah, okay, there's a bit of a vista from Springer. But you go, yeah, it's... You can't hike somebody up a hill and not show them a view. That's yeah. There's a, a reason. Trail. There's a reason they call it the Green Tunnel. Yeah, exactly. It's a beautiful trail. Don't get me wrong, but that's the one. That was the one major. Hey, come on, give me a view, not just trees. <laughs> All right, trailer. And question number five, last question in this version of the hiking pool. Uh, what's more important, Simon, pack weight or luxury items? I'm very interested to hear your take on this. The My philosophy so, throughout is most hikers want to get themselves down and down to ultralight, which is fine. It's just if the shit hits the fan, they are going to fall over. They've left themselves no leeway. I'm not, I don't weigh my pack. I've got what I need and I need what I've got is how I work it. And for me, it's a matter of trialing different things so I can talk from experience rather than hone things down and so I can only talk about those. For instance, on the CDT, I carried a solar panel just b because I wanted to see what that was like. 
in the end, I gave it away at Yellowstone Park National Park because it was no longer any good for me. It's not... Uh, I don't like too many luxury items. It's because as you're walking along, you're going, I'm not using this tiny little clip, so I'm going to get rid of it. As though this tiny little clip is, is adding any extra weight. It's not, but the way the mind works, and you go through your pack and you go, not using that, I'll send that off. I'm not using this, I'll send this off. So it's, yeah, pack weight is not important, but I don't like carrying too many luxury items either. So it's this balance between. And as I say, my overall thinking is I want to be able to talk about, oh, yeah, I tried that, I found that worked, or I tried this and it didn't. Whereas if you're trying to pack your weight down and down, you can only talk about six or seven items. So, yeah. Now, Simon, I think so, I heard yeah. I think I heard you say there that you you don't weigh your pack, and I think there's some real value in not yeah, weighing don't. your pack because yeah. it is such a men- mental thing, right? Yeah. If you, if you know you're carrying 40 pounds, if that's what you saw on the scale is 40 point, you know, eight pounds, or you know, what is that, 80 kilo, kilos, or no, 20 yeah, kilos, yeah. 20 kilos, right? Then yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that's in your mind, and you, and you can't forget about it. it; just eats away at you, but. If, if you don't know and you know that you have everything that you need and you've got some margin for error, then that's important as well. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be able to, I want to be able to respond appropriately to the environment. It's the, it's whatever it throws at me. I want to be able to know that I can adjust to that rather than sit there and suffer too much. It's on one of the hikes I did with, for the National Geographic, because I had so much camera gear in, I was carrying in American terms, about 90 pounds, a 90-pound pack, which was just crazy. Now, <laughs> now I couldn't do it. <laughs> but then, yeah, you know, it's... No. So, yeah, no, it's a balance. It's a balance. For me, it's a balance. It's, but I'm not interested in weighing my pack. Not, I won't play that game. Smart. I won't, yeah, I'm not, I won't play that game. Very smart. Now, Simon, let's guess what John's going to say when, when we ask him about what's more important, pack weight or luxury items. He's going to say whatever the Sherpas are carrying. <laughs> now, I give him credit for that. It, it, I call that glamping, but he, he won't. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's, it's, John, it's, what, what do you have to say, John? Yes, at risk of shocking your listeners, it is the question of, in Morocco, it's mules. They carry all the stuff. <laughs> and in in the Himalayas, it was the Sherpas. And I have to say, you do feel that because those guys, they are the sweetest guys. They really are. They're just amazing. So unbelievably strong, small. And in the evenings, after the, an exhausting day's work carrying everything, they would sit around the fire and sing to us and then tell us what they were singing. And the songs they were singing were just unbelievably heartrending. I miss my homeland. I'm hoping to be back there with my family and my mother especially. And just deeply touching and such sweet people. And then during the day, just carrying these enormous packs. It's, yeah, it moves you to see it. Okay. And that's the answer. I, I've not done the kind of hardcore walking where you're carrying a 60-pound pack for a, a duration. Got it. I love the fact that I'm talking to the two of you. Not only you are, are the two of you in very different uh, places geographically, but also the, the types of adventures you've had are, are disparate as well. So we're getting 
a couple yeah, of different yeah. perspectives. This is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so the two of you stand by. I've got to do some math. I've got to take off my shoes here to use all 20 digits. <laughs> uh, let's see, i got to, I got to carry the carry the three. I've got to divide by pi. Oh, I see. Oh. We're going to multiply that by root five. And I'm doing this for both of you now, so it's getting really complicated. Yeah. And, and I think I need to do a slight adjustment for the diameter of the red back currently destroying <laughs> Simon's trail runner. <laughs> As he sits there yeah, yeah. down in, in yeah. Tassie, and I come up with a couple of very interesting scores. So Simon, I've got you at a score of twelve. Oh, oh I, don't, I would expect a minus score. <laughs> I want a minus score. If insanity is one, I'm well below that, mate. Below that, yeah, you know. It's the bonus points for having mentioned Six Moon Designs. Otherwise, it would be a negative Yay! three. And then, John, I've, I've got you at 52. 52. I think the only, you guys are pretty I similar in that. Your luxury your... approach to um, lamping. Yeah, the difference in those scores is the 40-point deduction that Simon received for being a triple crowner. Ah, uh, of yeah. course. It's not good. I want a minus score. I'm not no, playing. One as high as the 40-point deductions. Uh, before we hit our first break, let's, uh, let's take a, a, a trip down memory lane. Give us a brief recap of where you grew up. I know that you're, you're one of ten. Um, tell me about what kinds of sports and activities you played as kids, and how did you get involved in the outdoor adventure, whether it's, it's trekking like John or whether it's through hiking like like Simon, how did you get involved in those activities? With that number of kids and the first five were boys, at seven o'clock in the morning after a bowl of porridge, we'd be kicked out of the house and told not to come back until it was dark. <laughs> I, I'm joking a little bit here. No, there, there was... <laughs> um, <laughs> No, we we did a lot of walking. That was, we had no, I was thinking about this. As kids, we lived in a pretty poor part of the northwest of England. I'm not going to name the area. And we had no telephone, no fridge, no car, no, probably no television when we were small. And walking in the hills was what we did. That was it. And we would walk for hours and hours. And when we weren't walking during the day, we would go out with the scouts and do midnight hikes. So we'd, mm-hmm. and literally, those were, they were great days, actually, because you could go and sleep on somebody's doorstep at six o'clock in the morning, and they'd open their door and welcome you in and make you a cup of tea and give you a piece of toast. Nowadays, they'd sue you. <laughs> <laughs> they'd like, oh, my God, you know, somebody's on the doorstep. But no, these were the... <laughs> Um, ah, good, good, yeah. were good times, but and also we live very close to the Lake District, and uh, Simon in particular, he can speak for himself, but Simon was Mr. Snow and Rock, and he was one big dude, and the rocks didn't stand a chance when he got round them. <laughs> so he was out there a lot, uh, doing it much more professionally. At the bottom of our garden, we had an aspen tree that must have been 60 feet tall, something like that. So old Wow here had it roped up from an early age <laughs> right to the top. And I don't remember, Simon, what the name of those things are. Jumars. Jumars, that's right. I was Jumars. trying to remember. 
you'd wake up in the morning and there would be Simon Jumaring up the Aspen before anybody had got out of bed, <laughs> giving it some giving it some stick. So I mean, but it was that kind yeah. of childhood, to be honest. What, what would you say about it, Simon? I think it was the best childhood you could possibly ever have. It was you were allowed to you were allowed a childhood. You were allowed to go out and be a kid. You weren't told, you weren't pressured from the early age. You didn't have danger, stranger danger. You didn't have, by the time you're 10 or 12, you've got to start making major career choices at school about what pathway you want to follow. You were given a childhood, and that was beautiful. So as for me, as John was saying, I spent a lot of my time with the scouts. I was a... I was a fanatical rock climber. It's like the, throughout my life, it's where I have lacked talent I've made up for with enthusiasm. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic. <laughs> the talent is low, but the enthusiasm is high. But I used to end up, we used to take groups of scouts out to the Stubier Alps in Austria for three or four week uh, teaching them how to uh, walk on snow and ice and glacier work. And then we'd take them uh, another summer out to the Dolomites and we'd go climbing in the cellar towers and camp at the base of it for a week, a uh, couple of weeks, and we'd go with a group of other people. We'd take the scouts climbing and all sorts of things. But yeah, it was a very outdoor childhood that I remember. And Simon, I, I recall yeah. you kicking people off striding edge, Simon, as part of rock and ice training. Yeah, yeah, it's teaching them how to how to stop how to, on snow and ice, glissading, how to self-arrest using an ice axe going down a steep slope. But yeah, we were doing and crevasse rescue and all of that. Yes, yeah, it was all, it's, it was how to, yeah, it was good. And was we, good. we may have stumbled upon another tr- possible trail name for John there. Stranger Danger yep. might be his, his trail name. <laughs> I don't like that one. <laughs> yeah. I can see we're going to... <laughs> very good all right very good a uh, quick question uh, what is the birth order simon are you the oldest in the family or are you no second eldest second eldest second okay. oh, no. you see the eldest the motto of, of coming from a big family is that the eldest always got told you're the eldest and you should know better so that's why i'm like i am because i could go in and stir the pot and big brother big martin is he used to cop it. Now, the strange thing here is 10 kids, eight of them are still in in the UK, and two of us are out here in Australia. Big brother, he lives 200 metres down the road on top of the hill. So where we are, we're very lucky. We have a big river at the bottom of our garden, and we've got bushland across the other side of the road. But we're by the river. He's on a big hill. So big brother looks down on next brother. They like to, but he's very serious. And that's why I am like I am because throughout, and even now it's, he phones up, are you all right? Everything okay? He's still playing big brother. And, I, and it's great. It's, it's fabulous. I'm retired and he still wants to know that I'm all <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from the advertisers, pay some bills. And when we come back, we're going to hear about your two unique styles of trekking out there. And also, we've alluded to it a couple of times, we want to hear about this great coincidence on the CDT. Mm. So stay tuned for yeah, that. No we'll be right back. 
From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. And welcome back. We're talking to John and Simon Morris. Simon is also known as Wow, Words of Wisdom. And John, we're still on the hunt for a good trail name for him. (laughs) He's already reported that he does not want Stranger Danger. We've kicked around the idea of split cell or something else. But when we heard in the previous segment all kinds of great information uh, about growing up and the hiking pole and other segments. But let's talk about your two distinct ways of enjoying the outdoors. And John, I, I want to start with you. We, we've talked a little bit about Morocco. We talked a little bit about the, the Himalayas. But you, you've experienced a lot of long walks out in the wild, not carrying a lot of stuff on your back. You want to Go through maybe some of your other experiences out there and let people know what's available to them? Yeah, absolutely. So I go every year for two weeks with a group of friends who are from different countries in Europe. So Spain, Germany, Switzerland, maybe from periodically an American or two. I know that's not in Europe. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> you weren't asleep in your geography class. <laughs> 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 actually, we're not in Europe anymore either. And actually, that's that's actually the main reason I go walking is to spend time with this group. And we've been walking together for a long time. And that in itself is valuable. <clears throat> um, How big is the group? It's about it's between 12 and 15 people. But what we've discovered is that 12 is a real sweet spot, actually. Um, because it's really important that personalities work and that people are sensitive and appreciative and supportive of each other. And we all go through stuff all the time. 
physically, mentally, emotionally. And so it's important doing challenging walks. Um, John, you found 11 other people that were, were sensitive and thoughtful and attentive to other people's needs? That's, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah, we're just a bunch of weirdos. It works quite well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go for the lowest common denominator. Uh, no, I think I think walking with people, particularly doing it over many years, actually produces a, a really great harmonic because particularly challenging walking, it wears down the kind of the ego side of all of us, really. We get tired, we get challenged, we're struggling a bit, maybe we're not struggling, maybe somebody else is struggling. And it, it pairs things down to what's more important. And, and I really appreciate that. And you might walk for, so a typical day for us would be getting up very early, have breakfast outside somewhere. We were in the middle of the hills somewhere. Walk for four or five hours. If we're in Morocco, the Berbers will have gone ahead with the mules and make some lunch for everybody, something incredibly simple, whatever they can get locally, salad, fruit. And then walk for another four or five hours and they will have arrived, put the tents up. This is where, of course, it gets nice and cushy. And we'll sit around in the in, in a kind of big tent for a few hours in the evening, tired, waiting for dinner and talking to each other, telling stories, having a laugh. But it's a nice quality. It's This is not laughing at somebody else's expense. This is sharing. And I think that's very enriching. And, of course, we're dealing with different cultures. I think it's very rewarding that and we've become, you become, friendship isn't the right word, you come to appreciate the essence of other people in a way that doesn't often present itself in the everyday. And I think that's very rich experience, which is very different from liking somebody or appreciating what they do. That's a different discussion. Okay, so you're huddled up with 11 other guys waiting for dinner. You're in the tent. And what is your go-to story? <laughs> uh, that depends what people have been reading. And we do have a, a broadly set of similar interests. So it might be it might be a story from the life of Jalaluddin Rumi. It might be a tale, an ancient tale. It might be, in fact, the... The big discussion point in the last trip in Morocco was something I've been reading, which I'm going to mention later because I think you were interested in some media, but the life of Richard Francis Burton, who was one of the great explorers. And so it, it would be something along those lines and just sharing about the day, having a laugh, which is really important, but not at somebody's expense. And I think real humour comes from shared experience and real humor is very enriching and when there's some silly thing that's happened that we all can laugh about it's, it's a great thing to share now you've been to morocco on these trips you've been to the himalayas you've done the, the camino um, yep. do you have a favorite location from those trips Ooh, the himalayas is truly epic in just every possible sense the scale the india itself is just such an amazing country i've been there many times over the years 
not to the Himalayas, usually cities. But I've been there many times, and it's such an exotic, incredible, historic culture. The Himalayas somehow embody that, but the scale of the Himalayas, the danger, the fact that the weather can change in 10 minutes from hot sun to heavy snow and a chill wind which just catches you on the wrong foot it's epic it's epic territory no question mm -hmm. and on the trip we did I remember what year it was but 2019 perhaps we did get caught in some pretty heavy weather but worse we so we were up at about four and a half thousand feet and we a number of us got really bad diarrhea and that is not good news not not because it's diarrhea but because it weakens your body a lot and, and it weakens your resistance to cold and you, you become a liability to yourself and to others and that is obviously very challenging but just now, one John, funny. John, you said 4,000 feet. Did you mean 4,000 meters? Meters. Meters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Meters. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So funny story. The In Rishikesh, where we had come from, you they don't serve eggs. Eggs are illegal in Rishikesh. Uh, it's just part of the local laws because of the religion. Once you get into the Himalayas, they can serve you eggs. So the big treat was egg curry. And unfortunately, these eggs were not very good. And the number of eggs got diarrhea we there we were at intense at minus eight when the weather expectations were to be a, a little gentler and i was running from the tent to a very makeshift loo multiple times during the night and the sherpas had dug a hole in the ground and they carry this kind of horseshoe shaped toilet seat which sits around the hole unfortunately they put it on back to front and the wind had removed the rather flimsy tent they put around this loo. But the <laughs> wooden pole was still in the ground. So clever clogs here. <laughs> freezing, absolutely freezing cold. I was trying to manage this process and practically fell into the hole and grabbed the pole to stop that and then discovered that the previous incumbent had perhaps left some residue on the pole <laughs> and, and there was no water anywhere to wash or recover. Or So I, there I was, slipping down this hole, practically falling into this hole in the ground with uh, parts of my body exposed that were getting the benefit of the very chill wind. And <laughs> really uh, quite a loss. And I had to go back in the tent, not really being able to clean anything with anything. So the night went like that anyway. But those are the times you remember. I mean, at the time, it seems pretty traumatic. You're wondering what you're going to do. And then afterwards, of course, you just got to have a good laugh about that. Really. Yeah, that is type two fun. And Simon, I think that there is a trail name in there for John somewhere. Oh, <laughs> I, I heard about a trail name. Uh, he wasn't on the show, but I, I heard about him from a guest on the show. His, his trail name was Poop Hands. And Ooh, he would always fun. introduce himself as Poop Hands when he was shaking hands with you. Right? And, you know. Oh, wow. Could have been worse. I thought you were going to say pole boy or something like that. <laughs> I was thinking maybe wind chill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I still like half cell. Half cell. <laughs> anyway, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I you know I I get angry having to get up with my my fifty six year old uh, bladder and get up at two a.m. just to to go relieve myself uh, by a tree. I can't imagine having diarrhea at minus eight and minus eight. That's minus eight Celsius. I'm, I'm assuming that's Celsius. Yeah, yeah. yeah minus so what's eight that? about twenty Fahrenheit. Yeah, that had to be miserable. It was challenging, uh, but actually it was funny. I did see the humor in it, particularly the slippery pole. But you then you do start thinking uh, if your legs start to feel weak, that's actually when it starts to get a little bit serious. You, you're just thinking you, suddenly you go from knowing that you've got the strength to deal with whatever comes to beginning to wonder whether you do. And that's that is not good, uh, particularly when other people are who you typically regard yourself as probably being a bit stronger than and a bit more able to organize and push and that kind of thing when that kind of strength goes then it, then it actually starts to be a little bit concerning okay and john what is your next big trip what's your next big adventure i think i'm hoping to go to ladakh next summer but i say summer it'll either be uh, early summer or late summer for the weather so that's planned we're just sorting out the final details but that does go up to 5,200 meters I think it's quite challenging but there's a very slow process getting there so I think the airport's at 3,000 meters and then you've got two weeks to get up over this saddle which is the high point but it's supposed to be amazing the views are supposed to be amazing and, um, and, I'll that, be doing and it that's with, in with India that's in India? Yeah. And you're, yeah it's, it's, it's another part of the Himalayas. Yes, and you're shooting for that in summer or late summer in 2024. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Now, is it a three-month process just lining up the travel itineraries of the 12 guys that do this? Yeah, it is. It is. We have two people who tend to do the big ticket organizing because if you have 12 voices, it doesn't work. Um, so we, we don't do that. And so we trust two people, Spanish guy and a Swiss guy. They do most of the groundwork. They find the right people. They use contacts. The people we met in India before will know people. We work it all out. And then we we pretty much follow the plan that they set, but it is well discussed once they've got an outline. And then the timing, of course, is important. Often that's weather, always that's weather driven and the availability of the right people at the other end. And then it's the next question is, can anybody not make that timing? Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a democratic process. And I think it's better that it's not. Now, are you working with companies that do expeditions or trips like this, or is it, it, Private contacts, uh, people. That... Private contacts, typically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're trying to find, we, we usually know somebody. In Morocco, we have the same Berber guide every single time, I have done for years. He's amazing. He knows the mountains so well. His The people he brings with him, which are, who are different, but the cooks are really great. Uh, great means they make really reliable food, but they've got a good sense of humor. They enjoy being there. 
the muleteers, they're just wonderful people. These are very simple people. They invite us into their houses if we happen to go to their village. They're so generous. Uh, they're incredibly poor, usually. And the generosity seems to grow with the poverty, which is such an inspiring thing to see. And it's a fantastic experience to meet these people, really, and share time with them. And to and they have a lot to teach. They're a good muleteer is a very knowledgeable person. It may not seem like that to a lot of people, but they're massively knowledgeable about the mountains, about weather, about animals. And these are important when you're in that environment. They're the people that matter. You're just part of the team that's following. <laughs> right. Now, does your group, when it organizes these trips, do they now list on their dietary restrictions, no eggs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little shy of eggs myself in that in those circumstances. <laughs> oh God, I, I shall not forget that egg curry. I really shan't. And it's funny thing in Rishikesh, you go into some of the cafes and they'll be like, "Here's the menu." By the way, we do eggs. <laughs> it's like black market and eggs. Don't tell anybody. You know. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's transition. Let's talk to Simon about his style of adventure. And I, we heard a little bit about it at the very beginning about this Australian geographic piece and the escape route of Alex Pierce, yeah. also known as the cannibal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, this was back in 2008 or so. It was, I'd read a book, somebody had written a book about Alex Pierce, but, and Everyone was concentrating on the cannibal aspects of it. So what they do is they, uh, on the west coast of Tassie, there is an, a, a big harbour called Macquarie Harbour. In the centre of that, there is a, an island called Sarah Island, and that's where they put the convicts. And then from there, that's where they were housed, and they would be flogged for the slightest misdemeanour, etc. And so they would build boats and they would build, do coal collecting and things like this. But if they tried to escape in one of the boats, they'd have to row up the harbour and then go out through a place called Hell's Gates, which is a very narrow entrance to the harbour. And all the soldiers would do is just line up there and as the boats passed, they'd just shoot them all. When Pierce escaped, he decided that he'd go inland. So he went inland and, of course, they couldn't swim and they had to cross the Franklin. Now, the Franklin River in Tassie is one of, it's very much like the Colorado River. You can do rafting. It's a very isolated river, and we had to cross it. And the funny thing here was, so we dropped down in a place that was a very steep gorge. We were just ahead of that very steep gorge. We dropped down, and we were still, a fellow hiker and myself were just, gathering all our gear. So we're still in our undies, having swum the river. The rest of the crew had gone round this little corner, and what should happen, but a raft load of Franklin River rafters came down, and they were five days into their trip. They hadn't seen anybody. They come round the corner, and then they see two guys just in their undies coiling a rope, and they're saying, what are you doing here? And, of course, we say, we're, following, we're tracing the steps of Alex Cannibal Pierce. And so I've got, and I said, and we're looking at them in the boat going, ah, oh, here's a floating menu just here. Yes, you look good. That was an event best going. But yeah, it was, 
what else was there? Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's, that's how I got my trail name. With all the, as I right. say, with, with the four-hour video, it was it was just too much. Now, Simon, uh, Simon, I see a lot of yeah. parallels between the Alex Pierce story and, and your adventure after that to the Barkley Marathons. Have you heard about the Barkley Marathons? No. Oh, you two need to do a search. When we're finished tonight, do a search on YouTube for Barkley Marathons documentary. Okay. There, there are two outstanding yeah, yeah. documentaries. It is time well spent. You will be enthralled. Okay. This, The two documentaries, one is called, just to give you an idea of what the race is all about, The Race That Eats Its Young, and also the second one is Where Dreams Go to Die. And <laughs> I like that. the similarities to the Alex Pierce story is that you know, the assassin, James Earl Ray, was locked up in a prison in Tennessee, just outside of, right. of Frozen Head State Park. And he escaped, and he was gone for, I think, close to 60 hours. And they thought well, he could be anywhere. They were really widening the net in terms of where they were looking for him. And when they finally found him 60 hours later, he'd only managed to go like five miles. The territory was so thick with underbrush and everything else. He only made it, it was maybe less than five miles. I think I'm giving him too much credit here. But there was a guy who lived in Tennessee who was an ultra runner who said to himself, if that had been me, if I had escaped from that prison and I had 60 hours, I could have gone 100 miles. And thus, the idea for the Barkley Marathons was born. So the guy that created the Barkley Marathons, Gary Cantrell, uh, also goes yeah. by the name of Laz, Lazarus Lake. Laz Lake. Yeah. He put together this race. It's a big circle that you have to do five times. And you have to complete yeah. it. You have 60 hours to complete it. And each loop is anywhere from, he says 20 miles, but the racers have actually said it's closer to 25 miles. And you have 60 hours to do it, and you do the first loop clockwise, uh, and then you do the second loop counterclockwise and back and forth until you get to that fifth loop, and the person who gets to the fifth loop first gets to decide which direction to run it, and then it alternates for the runners after that. And the race is so difficult that only 13 people have finished it in 35 years. Wow. Wow. So it is. there are a lot of little yeah. peculiarities, yeah. idiosyncrasies yeah, yeah. about this race. I've had the pleasure of talking to a few people who have competed. I've talked to a couple of finishers now who have been on it, and it is just a different experience. But as you were talking about Alex Pierce and the escape route and getting so far, yeah, and, yeah. You know, it just reminded yeah, yeah. me of that whole concept. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, yeah, as I say, we were traveling, working for 10 hours. We can't say we were hiking. We were traveling for 10 hours, and we covered just, just oh, literally about 1.1 kilometer is, is how far we went because it was just so dense. We had machetes, but they were useless. They would just bounce off. So the only thing you could do was grab hold of stuff, pull it down, step on it, grab, pull down, and you were above such rocky terrain. It was just yeah, quite epic. So, yeah, good stuff. Now, how, but, do you, how did you in particular get involved with this project? I'd read a book. And it was just of synchronicity again. I'd read this book uh, about Alex Pierce. And there was a, a group of us who I put this group together. We, I decided I wanted to do the whole West. Uh, the, I wanted to circumambulate the whole of Tasmania. So the whole, we'd done, uh, most of us had done the South Coast track, which is a five, six, seven day. Then there was the, the Southwest tip. 
is another six days. And then we'd spent, to go up the west coast of Tassie, we'd spent about, what, 40-odd days going up the west coast, it, breaking it into sections. And so this group, we decide, I decided with them, I thought, Alex Pierce, let's have a crack at this. Because when we were doing the west coast, we, were, we, we gelled as quite a good group. So we were getting choppers to fly food in. We were swimming the rivers. Very, we were totally remote, so we were doing all this. And so bringing them to the Alex Pierce. But as we did that, and uh, an article got published in the, the Australian Geographic, a number of films came out about Alex Pierce. So we got invited to the opening show of the Alex Pierce films. And here are the people who did the walk that Alex Pierce did. He had all of that. You know what media can do to things. But it was just, the timing was just right. Yeah. Nice. But it's the... But yeah, I, I share with John his notion of the Himalayas. I spent, I've spent, I did Mira Peak, which is just south of Everest. So I went there to Nepal and did the the Mira Peak there. It was mainly to see if I wanted to have a look at Everest to see if it was worth walking to the base camp or doing climbing it. But I didn't. It was a good trip, but I that is fabulous. But I, the idea of climbing Everest was too much of a slog. I, I just it didn't appeal to me. It didn't blow me skirt up. So it's good. We're always good. looking for things that blow our skirt up, of course. Oh, you've got to find stuff that blows your skirt up. It's That's right. So that might, important. That might be the episode title, Blowing Your Skirt Up with well, the Morris Brothers. I've got an image of John in a tutu spinning around his pole. <laughs> You've been watching. <laughs> now, while, while you also, as you mentioned earlier, you're a triple crowner. You have done the three yep. long American trails. Uh, they, it was in. It started back in 2015, and I wanted to essentially, I wanted to entice my good lady wife to to come with me, and so she very she did. And she's not really a hiker, but she we did California and Oregon, but she pulled. She'd had enough. She'd done. She'd done the best that she could, and we got to Timberline Lodge. So. Now, wait a second. Uh, wait a second, Simon. I, I can't just let that pass. You, you, your yeah. wife, who is not a hiker, agreed to do this with you. And yes. she completed with you California and Oregon. That That yes. is no small feat. That is oh, I, huge. I, I, know, I know that. And it's, I am in total awe and in total awe of her. She's, she, yeah, she's, if you met Magzo, you'd understand. So then... 2000, I was hoping to go back, but in 2019, I came back. I did a no-bow through hike of the AT, but halfway along there, I got picked up by this group, GC, I've forgotten the name, GCHH, which was a, um, it was a, a non-profit organization, and they were called Age Disruptors. So essentially what had happened, this 70-year-old guy, Mike, had decided he was going to try and do a, a triple crown in a calendar year. So Mike had set off, and he was being sponsored by this GCHH, and but it was obvious he wasn't going to get it. He, he wasn't going to do it. He, yeah, his mindset. So what the group did was to expand it. So they they found me. Well, I was what sixty, God knows what. So they liked the idea of having somebody like me doing it because I was going to finish the AT and then go across and do the Washington section of the PCT. 
when I started the AT, I'd got nothing under my belt. I hadn't, I, I've done part, I've done a section, a big, a lash, as we call it, along, along our sectionite of the PCT, but I hadn't got anything. So I managed to do the A, finish the AT, picked up by this crew. So they basically trailed, angeled me through the last half of the, last third of the AT and on the piece on the, in Washington. So they, they brought in a big, motorhome and they would come and pick me up with a car in the Washington section. They'd come and pick me up, take me back. And all I had to do was carry us a little personal locator. And at the end of it, we did media and because we were the big age disruptors. I'm making my mules sound rather hardcore, Simon. <laughs> yeah, this is, that, that was the AT and that was the Washington section of it. But the, yeah, yeah, the triple crown glamping. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Same way, but now the CDT, the C, the last CDT, there was no, there was none of that. It was <laughs> the, yeah, the CDT was, it was, the whole thing with the CDT was, it was all to do with coincidences, which is the funny thing. It was, we, I started, I started Novo, so we, John and myself had planned to meet, and I said I was going, I was starting northbound. So I start. We I started northbound, but I got to Grants, and they closed the trail between Grants and Charmer. So that's about two hundred and fifty miles, and I hadn't come all the way to America just to miss out two hundred and fifty miles. If I, a lot of people skip round and went straight to Charmer, but because of because they were three weeks ahead, the snowpack hadn't melted, so they were just sitting in Charmer. A coincidence was that I was walking with a, a, a Scottish guy called Andy who lived in Canada. And he said, come and stay with me in Canada and then we'll walk southbound. So there was another coincidence that he got me out of that problem, being able to uh, flip that way. But when I was in Silver City, I met a guy called Pine Stick. And Pine Stick had met us on the PCT. So he was very excited to actually to meet up four years later with somebody. He didn't remember me. He remembered Maggie, <laughs> my wife Maggie. Uh, once you've met Maggie, she makes an impression. So um, it, it's tough to, to so, bask in, in in the glow of Maggie. I mean, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, everything no, else is forgotten. Right, but, Everybody just remembers Maggie. Got it? Yeah, yeah. That, that's her trail name was Monarch. She's when we were on the west coast of Tassie, she had a birthday, and the other people original trail name was Queenie, but she wanted to be a bit more regal than Queenie, so Monarch was the obviously next. But on one of our trips up the west coast of Tassie, it was her birthday, and one of the girls who was on the trip as well had, had bought with her a, a tiara crown and a pair of white gloves to give her for her birthday. Out in the middle, in the middle of nowhere, there she is with a crown and a white gloves eat, eating her dehydrated food. But the thing about Pine Stick was uh, absolutely amazing. He was 72. He was walking with a guy called Silver, who was 74. These guys, Silver was a quadruple, triple crowner. As they were walking along, Silver was trying to convince Pine Stick to lose a couple of pounds to make him an ultra lighter. And this I found totally hilarious. They were going through Pine Stick's kit to work out what he could lose in order to 
become go sub 10 pounds to become an ultralighter. So that was fabulous. What we did was we flipped. I did a through hike on the AT. I've done a section hike on the PCT, and I've done a flip-flop on the, on the CDT. We went up to Canada, and we waited about a month, and then we came back down, but we were going to go through Glacier National Park, but they closed it because the, the herders had put cattle in into Glacier National Park over winter. They'd obviously not survived. They died. And then, of course, as the snow meltdown, the bears were coming in and having a barbecue. So they closed it. So we had to do a walk, walk around. We had to do a road walk around, which was really disappointing because I wanted to go to Triple Divide Pass. The thing I wanted was Triple Divide Pass. And as Triple Divide Pass, when the rain falls, it falls on the uh, west side and it flows out to the Pacific. On the east side, it flows out to the Atlantic. And on the north side, it got, flows out to the Arctic Circle. And the mature me would like to stand there and look at this. The immature me would want to pee with one bladder full of pee and know that you are peeing in three oceans at once. Yes! (laughs) And another thing as well is meeting John was another coincidence, but given the fact that I, I flipped, so us being able to meet in the middle of nowhere was fabulous. But the other thing is... The I met, I, I've seen on your program, you saw, what was it, Queen Bee and Spreadsheet. You interviewed Queen Bee and Spreadsheet. And funnily enough, I met them just south of Yellowstone National Park. In wow. fact, I'd kept a blog. I'd kept a, uh, I kept a daily blog, which I published up on trail journals, and I got a picture of them. And what didn't come out in your, in your interview was I was chatting to Spreadsheet, and he was saying through through Yellowstone National Park, because of the way the camping occurred, he said there was 70, 27 miles between campsites. And he spreadsheets got five kids. Three of them were below 10, and they were carrying sacks. And he was getting these kids to walk 27 miles in a day. Now, 27 miles is about what I could do in a day, but he was getting these sub-10-year-old kids to... How does he do that? It's absolutely amazing. And it was only listening to your podcast that I find out there's a lot more similarities between Spreadsheet, Queen Bee, and myself. As He's an emergency doctor. She's an obs and gynae. And they, work, they did missionary work out in Chad. That's right. As, as for myself, I've worked all my life in emergency. I was a shift coordinator in emergency. I'm also a qualified midwife. So like Queen Bee, I've got some midwifery. And for the last five years, Mags at Monica and myself, we went remote into a very remote part of Australia and worked with the indigenous population for the last five years. Wow. So the coincidence is there. They lived in Chad. I just went up north here. It's a seven, eight-day road trip. But it's the similarities. And I met them as well, which was, which was fabulous. It's, the, it's all these coincidences that have occurred on the CDT, which is fun. And John is, was one of the great ones out of nowhere. He well, just appeared worth, on the road. I think know? it's worth telling that a little bit, Simon, because we hadn't met for about 15 years, no. possibly longer. Yeah. 
No, a lot longer, a lot longer. Longer, but even though I'd been to Tassie twice, but you were away on on mission each time. And I was in Jackson Hole with Mike Potter. We had an off-site for our, we have a not-for-profit, and we had an off-site in Jackson purely by coincidence. And I learned that Simon was coming south, no idea where he might be. So I contacted him, and he said, I'm going to be at the point where Dead Ox Creek crosses the 28, between 8 and 12 o'clock <laughs> on this date. And I'll, I'll be there for four hours, and if you're not there, I'm just going to go. I said, okay. <laughs> so we haven't, we haven't met each other for at least 15 years, possibly longer, and Simon gives me this coordinate <laughs> and a four-hour slot in 20 years. So, no, so my dog has just eaten the shell off a snail, which is crawling across the floor, and she wants to eat it. Eat it. Come here. Don't eat it. Not nice. We, we've right. got a lot going on right now. Fry <laughs> yeah. it first. Come on. Come on. Yeah. I just said to her, it's like eggs in the Himalayas. Don't touch it. Imagine. Anyway, enough of that. So anyway, so I borrow one of Mike's cars and cruise south for three and a half hours. And funnily enough, on Waze, the app, Dead Hawks Creek comes up. And so I'm so focused on getting to see Simon that I forget about how much petrol I've got. So anyway, I drive down Highway 28 from, it's towards, Lar- not Laramie, can't remember the name of the place. Anyway, I'll remember it in a minute. Lander. Lander, that's right, thanks, yeah. Lander. Yeah, it's one of the gateway towns, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I'm driving towards Lander, there's nobody on the road, it's about 60 miles long. And and then suddenly there's this person by the side of the road, and guess who it is? It's Simon. What an amazing thing just to rock up. And then I look at the petrol gauge in the car after Simon gets in, and of course it basically says he's screwed. We drive off the road. Yeah, there's full, little... there's full, and there's empty, and there's you're screwed. That's just oh, yeah, just, right. just <laughs> the other side of empty. <laughs> the needle definitely said you're screwed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was get, a speed. Get, get to <laughs> so, so we drive down this dirt track to to this place. It said there was petrol there on my app, and so we go to this place. Pull up outside a, a shack full of guns, and a lady comes out and says, what are you guys doing here? And so we, we asked for some petrol, and there was this kind of white petrol tank raised on bricks, which must have been used for tractors and things like that. Anyway, they very kindly sold us some petrol. I think they did quite well out of it. And off we, <laughs> off we went to Lander. And on the way, Simon said to me, he said, I've got T-Rex syndrome. And I'm sitting there thinking, what on earth is that? So he said, my, my, my thighs are like this. My arms are like this because they're wasted away and I eat anything I see. <laughs> so, we go into Lander and true to T-Rex syndrome, he proceeded to eat the contents of an entire cafe. Whilst I, whilst I, was, I snacked on a delicate little egg. <laughs> you and the eggs. <laughs> by the way, by the way, John, you still owe me money for the petrol. I haven't forgotten. Oh, I? <laughs> I'll see you by the Dead Oaks Lake. <laughs> Twenty years time, mate. <laughs> hey, hey, 
<laughs> he was pulling the, I'm the little brother, you're the big brother, sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, that, what an amazing coincidence, being able to connect after that much yeah. time and coming from, from such different locations. That's incredible. Yeah. But also, Doc, it was special, actually, because it was... It really was in the middle of nowhere. And I think the epicness of what Simon was doing was very, I felt, I really felt it with massive respect, really, because I think those trails, when you do them on your own, you're carrying everything, you're sleeping in bear country, the exposure is ultimate. And you're operating on dry food for five or six days, going to a gateway town, able to get out of your sleeping bag and sleep with your legs not pushed together. All that kind of stuff, have a shower. This this is big stuff. This is, I know enough to know it's pretty epic. Epic indeed. So, yeah, so it was very special and we had such a nice... I would agree. It, we had such a nice agree. chat and connection and it was, yeah, it was very special. And then I had to get back to Jackson for a do in the evening. So it was it's a bit weird, but it worked. Now, Simon... It's fabulous. Fabulous. Now, yeah. now Simon, Fabulous. you're you're not resting on your laurels. You you've got some other big trip coming up in in the near future. Ah, uh, you've you've got to grow old disgracefully. There is no excuse. What it is, it's I don't really like doing any hiking. It's just that as a present to me, Magzo Monarch buys me a return ticket. As a present to me, as a present to herself, she rips the return part out. You know what I mean? But now, yes, I'm just finalizing the plans for doing the Tia Aurora in New Zealand. So that's 3,000 kilometers. Sorry, I'm thinking in in Australian. It goes from the north of the North Island, Cape Baringa, down to Bluff, the south of the South Island. Now, given the latitude, it's there's a lot of river crossings and there's a lot of micro ups and downs, which get quite exhausting yeah it should be good the north island i think there's quite there's road walks connecting trails but the south island should be stunning we've been there a number of times magzo and myself flying there doing going on photographic expeditions because it's stunningly but i'm hoping to take a uh take a drone because some of the uh, footage is going to be pretty spectacular i think and and drone footage should be good yeah, we've talked to a number of people who have done the TA, and it is just spectacular. You're, you're really yeah, in yeah. for a treat. So best of luck in, in that yep. endeavor. Thanks very much. Yeah, it should be good. Yep. should be good. All right, guys, you know where we are? No. Yes, we're Hiker Advice. Hiking Hacks. That's right, Wow! it is time for Hiking Hacks, where each of you get to share a bit of trail wisdom to make our next next listener's trip even better. So, Simon, you get to go first. What bit of advice do you have for us? Hiking has killed very few people, but the comfy (laughs) chair that you're sitting on now, listening to this, has killed thousands. Get (laughs) off it. Get active. Wow. That is perfect. That's awesome. John, that, that's also, a tough... Go ahead, Simon. Hang on. Also, I'd like to just say that the reason why a lot of people go into out into nature, out into the hiking, is to reconnect, as John was saying before, is to reconnect with the inner aspects of yourself. 
And all all that happens is that all of the all the mindset that's required to live in everyday life just leaves you. And what gets exposed is your true essence, the essence of what. And we don't have to be able to explain it, but you can experience it. And a lot of people who do these big trails get post-trail depression because they think that they leave that the, the being that they are out on the trail. No, they don't. They have it with them. It's just they allow all the other stuff to pile on top of it. It's as John Muir says, it's the mountains are calling. I have to go. And it's continually reconnect with, as John was saying, reconnect with that inner being. That is the, the keep going there and keep reconnecting and learn and know that you can carry with you back into your everyday life that peace and joy that lies at the core of your being and that you share your being with everybody. That's it. As simple as that. That's my hiker hack. Well said, Simon. Said, uh, John, uh, that's a tough act to follow. Do you wish you had gone first? <laughs> no, it is because it, it, it hits at the essence of it, really. And I think the important thing is, is that people challenge themselves, but we challenge ourselves in different ways. And, and a challenge is a challenge. It's not one man's challenge is not a challenge for somebody else. And I think that's really important. So, we yeah. don't all have to be triple crowners. We don't all have to walk no. the mountains in Morocco. But I do think it's important that there's a lot of mental health and imbalance issues nowadays, especially in younger people. And I do think that the whatever is a challenge, a manageable challenge for a person in the outdoors is a great way to rebalance a bit it is a confrontation with yourself, especially if you're walking on your own, but even with other people. And that confrontation with yourself is an important engagement. And if you're frightened of that, you should listen to that because we all are at times. Absolutely. But walking towards a fear makes it smaller, not bigger. And I think these elements which we all face, are very important parts of getting out, being in the open air, doing things a little bit out of your comfort zone, whatever that means, mm. and really just embracing it and not being afraid of, not being afraid of ourselves, actually. Wow. Walking towards your fear, it gets smaller, not bigger. Mm. I feel, and I'm going to advertise this episode this way, I feel like if you listen to the full two hours of this episode, you should get university credit for the, the things that you guys are talking about. <laughs> Continuous professional what, development. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to know what the name of the of the, of the qualification would be. <laughs> Egghead. <laughs> yeah. Some, yeah. Something to do with a pole in the Himalayas. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> All right. That is just wonderful. So there you have it. We're just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with John and Simon. I want to thank them for joining us this week. Guys, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? It's, you go, Simon. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, for me, I'm on Trail Journals. If you type in, just Google Monarch and Wow, M-O-N-A-R-C-H and wow w-o-w all one word you'll come up you'll find the blogs i'm just in negotiation at the minute with the trek 
to become a blogger for them. So when I'm doing the A, I'll probably be using the Trek website to publish the daily blog with pictures and everything else. So that's probably the way. Okay. How about you, John? Just ask any Berber in Morocco and they'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) They'll tell you, avoid him. <laughs> That's right. The, the bloke, the bloke in the tutu that tips well. <laughs> Don't let him near your mules. <laughs> Very good. I don't, I'm an appalling blogger, social media person, so I do have a Facebook, but it's not, I, I couldn't claim it was up to date, and I do Instagram a little bit, but that's not up to date either, but you can check out JohnBoy618 on Instagram to get historic information. <laughs> How about your MySpace page? Don't I have one? <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> I was trying to think of what was older than Facebook. I MySpace, see. yeah. Oh, well, okay. You know, if I have to yeah. explain the joke, it, it's, it's not quite as funny. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. too young to as, remember. It's probably on me, yes. All right. Hey, <laughs> yeah, remember right, to yeah. check out Hiker Trash Radio on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at hikertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, guys, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail, and when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So I'm going to ask each of you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. Uh, This could be a book, a movie, or a documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. Simon, you went first last time. John, what do you have for us? Yeah, it's a little bit different, but it actually links in with where Simon and I met. So, Simon, out of interest, there's a place called Preston, to the west of where we met, just out of interest, which is where we grew up. Very good. Very good. Also, uh, so I've been reading a book about Sir Richard Francis Burton, who's probably the greatest explorer of the 19th century, spoke 29 languages. He was the finest swordsman in Europe. He was part of the team that discovered the source of the Nile uh, and Lake Tanganyika in uh, Africa. Those were the days of real treks where you'd set off from Zanzibar with 200, a team of 200 people carrying gifts for the tribes that you met along the way so they didn't kill you. And uh, so life was really on a string there. They contracted just about every illness, some of which were deadly. It took months and months each trail. And he did a lot of walking, researching, mapping in Africa. And then he hopped over in the 1860s to America, which is pretty cool. And he ended up interviewing Brigham Young in Salt Lake City, which again, Simon, is not far from where we were. So that it links in. But so he has a, there are seven books written about his life. The one I think is just so amazing is called The Devil Drives, which is a quote from him and describes his life. He was an extraordinary man, but a difficult man. And so Devil Drives, Sir Richard Francis Burton, and there's a film called The Mountains of the Moon, which is actually the name of a mountain range in Africa. It's on Apple TV. And it's the story of their trip to discover the Nile. But the book 
is worth it. The book is just amazing. One is an epic life. Okay. I, I will be uh, taking a deep dive into uh, Sir Richard Burton and uh, Mountains of the Moon, The Devil Drives. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Simon, how about you? Nothing as exotic as that. For me, it's always get out there, reconnect within yourself. But the people that I follow, Jimmy Chin on social media, I love his photographs and he's always up to something. And Alex Honnold, because I have a, a rock climbing background, some of the things that he's done, done there. Back in the 80s, I remember landing in New York and then I hitched across to Yosemite and spent a couple of weeks climbing there. So I did the northwest face of Half Dome, and which was fascinating because this time round on the PCT in 2015, we went back. And we, I climbed up the side. You can do the railings up the side. Got to the top and there's a diving board there. And I stood on that and, oh, no. When I did it back in the 80s, I was no problem. Now, way. So, yeah, it's seeing these guys, Alex Honnell, Jimmy Che, they're just fabulous photographs. They keep you in touch, but there's no substitute for getting out there. No matter where it is, get out there and reconnect. It's that connection mm. that's so important, so vitally important. Well, so Ansel Adams is the big photographer for that region, isn't he? Yes, mm. he, yes, he was. Yeah, Ansel Adams. Yes, beautiful black and whites, beautiful. Mm. Yeah, and I love how you just dropped casually that you hitched from New York to Yosemite, as if it was oh, just I'm a, a, a two-hour, two or three-hour ride. No, that's across the country. That's that's a story in itself, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fine, and I hitch back. And, oh, I got done, I got done for, in my innocence, I must have been, what, 20, 21 or something, I got a ticket from a a motorbike cop. He gave me a ticket, and it was in the days when they said, he said, boy, I'm going to give you a ticket. I said, okay. He said, you were soliciting. And I said, hang on a minute, only prostitutes solicit. Boy, you were soliciting a ride on a freeway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i still have the ticket i still have the ticket <laughs> all right absolutely fabulous and fabulous. that that brings us to our very last segment today what have we not asked you one which i'm almost afraid to ask <laughs> what have i not asked you that you are just dying to tell us about simon you get to go first this time what do we miss? I think you've cut. Co- I think you've covered it. It's great to reconnect with John and with yourself. Yeah, it's you've asked me all the questions. I've got my major thing is it's I do a lot of walking on my own, and it's that it's the connection between you and your environment, and knowing that the peace that you feel out there you can bring into your daily life. It's not left out there. It is what you are at your core. You just allow it to get veiled. The goal is to realize that you've got peace and joy at the very heart of your being and that you share your being with everybody else. As simple as that. Live that understanding. That is my major message. Nice. Seriously. Nice. Thank you. That could be my trail name then, PJ. (laughs) 
yeah, <laughs> Pajamas, peace and joy. Who cares? <laughs> but John, anything you want to add? Yeah, I know. I think Simon said it all, really, to be honest. It's, it's hard to add anything to that because that is the bottom line, really. Okay. There's lots of stuff to talk about, but right. that's kind of the bottom line. Got it. All right, we are finished. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. We wish you the very best in your future adventures. And you know what? I, I feel like we just touched the surface here. I hope that mm. after your latest adventures, you'll entertain coming back and, and having some more conversation about what's going on out there. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's been a blast. Okay. Look forward to it. All Look right. forward to it. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Love to John. John, love to you and the family. Take care. Thank you, Doc. Love to you and your family. Yep, we're not quite done yet. Don't disconnect yet. I'm still talking here. (laughs) Any shout outs? Any final shout outs to friends and family before we tune out? Oh, yeah, sure. My wife, Elizabeth, and our three kids, Joseph, Letty, and Celeste, Mike Potter and his family, and the team at uh, Geeks Without Frontiers, and who are just doing fantastic work, and a lot of other people. But that's a good starting point. Okay. How about you, Simon? A shout out to all the people who I have met and all the people I'm going to meet. I just, they're just friends that I haven't met yet. And just, just live your life. Just live it. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're worried about your skirt blowing up in the middle of the bears having the barbecue. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. (laughs) 